This is a topic-based podcast, so each episode we're going to tackle a different issue facing board games, the people who play them, and the industry. Today we have the pleasure of talking to the designer of Anachrony, Days of Ire, Petricor, and many other great games. It's David Turtsey. Hello everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the Tabletop Inquisition podcast. How are you keeping, Oliver? What's happening with you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. All good here. I'm, I'm really looking forward to speaking to our guest this week, which is going to be exciting. I met him briefly at Aircon and had a quick catch-up. I think we need to find out more what's been going on. So, shall we introduce David Turtsey to everyone? Hello, David. How are you? Hello. Very, very good, and thank you for having me. Welcome, no problem. Welcome. It's lovely to have you. So... What we normally do at the beginning of, of our podcast is go for some fun questions. So, David, this is just light stuff. Don't don't worry about it too much. So, shall yeah. I start with the first one? Absolutely. Yeah. The first question is, what color crayon are you? Well, uh, in, in, in board games, I play yellow. So, does that count? Yeah, yellow, yellow goes perfectly. Well, yeah, yellow's the unusual color, though. Very few people pick yellow. Is there any reason? Is there any reason it's your favorite? No, I've actually seen charts about this on some random Facebook group. That while a couple of years ago, like yellow was the last <laughs> color to be ever picked. It's oh. the second fastest growing mm. color after purple. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is some interesting facts That's right there. Exactly. I, yeah. I, I think it was actually mm. done by the either the aircon guys or some other convention who like aircon was selling these mm-hmm. uh, I play with mugs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it was. You know, yeah, everything I say is hearsay, but I've definitely seen a picture about this. So. Yeah, <laughs> go yellow and purple players. Okay, that's cool. Promoting yellow—that's that's a pretty good one. Uh, to answer your question, yeah. why I play yellow is because while I'm not color blind, but mm. I do sometimes forget to pay attention to stuff. So I like that when I glance at the table, the first thing I see is my own color. Oh so yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yellow first. Yeah. If yellow is not available, then bright orange or white, and then go on from there. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah, the least popular colors. That's what I would have called the least popular ones anyway. But it's good to know that yellow is on the rise and the up and up. Yeah. Maybe more people will start choosing yellow yeah. after hearing this podcast. <laughs> so popular. that'd be cool. <laughs> Plus, you know, most of my games have a rule in it that yellow always wins, right? <laughs> I should read the rule book far more carefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so the second question. Um, if you could go for a walk somewhere, would you prefer to go to the beach or to the hills? Depends. Am I walking to the beach or am i walking at the beach because you know it's very nice to walk to the beach and then sit down and then read a book in the shade or something okay for diving afterwards yeah but you know i'm the lazy kind of guy so i'd like to cheat myself out of this question okay that's that's okay that's fine (laughs) that's fair enough enough. yeah that works Now, oh it's goodness. the evening where you are, and um, I think we heard earlier when we were talking before we started recording, but um, if you had to have something to eat right now, what would it be? Well, I already had early dinner or whatever you want to call it, so yeah. right now I'm just waiting for the the jelly to be made, and I think I'm I'm quite happy with that. I don't have any alternative ideas. What flavor is it? That's, that's the important part. What flavor is jelly? Well, I'm, is I'm secretly hoping for strawberries. <laughs> but there's still some leftover from the earlier orange batch, so I have to finish that first. All oh, right, yes, yes. Oh, shame. <laughs> <laughs> what a pity. Right. My life is so hard. Oh. Okay, so next question. If you had a, could pick a dream house, what would it be like? I mean, you know, where would it be? Would it be big, small, that kind of stuff? Um, dream house. A cu- couple of wars worth of board game collection. Uh, plenty of places for the cat to climb on oh yeah uh, small little garden not, yeah. not, not too much uh, what's the word lawn mowing just yeah <laughs> yeah i think those are the three requirements the important pets anyway no, i like that garden garden is important i think definitely I, i'm keen gardener so yeah, yeah. i love that so well, i mean on the other hand I, I i i just just stopped living in a house with a small garden and i don't yet miss it so I think okay I'm more just giving the practice the answer here yeah, so, <laughs> what you're used yeah. to. <laughs> That's okay. Exactly. <laughs> so, if you have people around, maybe who aren't used to modern board games or aren't just general players, that um, you know, what sort of game would you show to new people? Oh well, I'm the perfect kind of wrong person for that because <laughs> somebody said my catchphrase is "I hate fun." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so I, I, I don't really have a 
stack of fun games to introduce non-gamers with. Well, but, but even a serious game, you know, if there was something that you think that'd be quite good to introduce them to, it doesn't have to be. I have introduced plenty of uh, a few jobs ago at 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 corporate Christmas party. I think I used the trick of putting code names on the table to make them ask me what board games are. Okay, yeah. And then next Wednesday, making them play Seven Wonders. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And then after that, it was slippery slope. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Ease them in, I like that. Codenames <laughs> always a good start. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Co- co- Codenames is the hook. Between yeah. things so to explain what drafting is and mm-hmm. then someone yeah. wants to sink it in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then they're stuck. <laughs> so we'll continue with the kind of the question about uh, gaming, I suppose, with people. And I'm curious to know, how would you deal with like a dominant player in your game group? I would move the mirror away from me. <laughs> That's the best way, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we're mostly okay, by okay. either not playing cooperative games or playing cooperative games where natural alpha is not an issue. Or the way I've been recently dealing with it is having a gaming partner who can easily double my score at everything, therefore teaching me the word meaning of uh, humility. So. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's a, yeah, that's definitely make it feel, feel a tad smaller, <laughs> for Be- sure. Yeah, don't uh, take it away, Dylan. Beat them at their own game, basically, yeah. <laughs> um, when it comes to the weight of a game, uh, do you have any preference? Do you prefer heavier games, lighter games? What, what do you normally play? Well, I don't play light, light games much or at all. But okay. for heavy games, what I always say is there's no such thing as too heavy game. There is game that's not worth its heaviness. <laughs> right, okay, yes. yeah, yeah. That's I don't great. know, like a quick game of Kanban or a quick game of all expansions, Tricarion or, or, or a six-player dominant species. These aren't too heavy games because they are very heavy, but they're exactly as heavy as they should be. Or, you know, Kalos mm. or, or the good stuff. Yeah. But but when I'm like, okay, let's just quickly play a game, then I have nothing against a nice hour and a half, set it up, play it, think a little, and then it's over. Yeah. Anything much lighter than that, that is probably I'm doing it for the social people around me and try to act like, you know, a regular person. But... <laughs> But yes, like if, if given a choice, then then I'm definitely looking in the two two and a half hour thematic euro category. I like it. A heavy game that's worth its weight. I, I like that definition. Me too. I think that's a fantastic phrase. Please, please don't ask me to name some heavy games that aren't worth it. No, no, don't worry. I have, a, <laughs> I, I have a very heavy, very heavy policy. We're not mean. Of, if I'm I'm in doubt, then don't try it out because yeah, you know, good gaming time is precious. And huh. although, yes. you know, although there are a few games in in, yeah, in in the collection that I'm like, maybe I should check it out. Maybe I'll like it. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true. Like, why waste your time with something uh-huh. you're not sure about when you could exactly. be playing something you are more sure about? But then the problem is you're never going to find a lot of new games to play yeah, if but, you, you know, keep playing that like, way. So it's different. It's like a real balancing the, the, the act, isn't it? The thing I always console myself <laughs> with is when it comes down to it, how many games can be better than Brass Birmingham? So... You know, not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. You're not entirely wrong. Exactly. <laughs> not entirely wrong. Uh, and then our final question, I suppose, in this fun question section is: What got you into board games in the first place? Mm, uh, at university, after after all the, I don't want to say cool kids because let's face it, it was a computer science class, so we were all damn nerds, but. All the cool kids played cool kids. Bang and Munchkin. Oh, yeah. And got to have to hang out with them. Yeah. And then after that, I think it was for Christmas or birthday or something, I got uh, Battlestar Galactica, the board game, because of me and all my friends' oh, love yes. of the show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sure. compare it with the yes. so called thematic games of its time, it was so vastly ahead of it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that, that mm-hmm, quickly really awesome. got me hooked. And then for, for, for a while, like all people got lured in by big epic games like Game of Thrones or Dune or stuff like that. Yeah. And then, uh, then or Eclipse, the first edition. And then Eurogame started dripping in and, and turned to the tide. Fantastic. I think, I think yeah. Manhattan Project was probably the first completely Eurogame. Manhattan Project, Tolkien, like stuff that came out in 2012, because that was my first essence. So, 
that's where I got access to most of the okay yeah yeah most of the good stuff and more pork oh yeah. that was great yeah good yeah. stuff yeah. well thanks thanks so much I think that sort of rounds up our fun questions and I think we're ready to now move on to the more serious questions oh I'm serious all day long <laughs> okay so we're at what I think is obviously the, the meat of an interview which is the serious questions because there are things people want to know yeah especially when you're a game designer there's whole whole host of questions so we've got a pile of them ready for david and i hope he doesn't mind as we just pepper him with question bullets um and see exactly what we come out with yeah so we kind of we just talked about i suppose how you got into board games in the first place and then i suppose i want i want to did you keep you did you keep playing board games then throughout your life or did you ever stop has it been a continuum since like university well you know university wasn't that long ago it's not not, not been a decade yet so well or just about uh which means that since then no i haven't stopped since then it just gradually crept up and slowly took over my life but no like like obviously since the childhood years of stratego and uh, to the university games there was a couple of years of pause in the middle but no since since my collection exploded and I became known as the guy with the board games. No, I haven't stopped and don't intend to anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> do you know how many board games you have in your collection? Yes, I do, because I just moved uh, from the UK to the Netherlands and I had to create a ledger of what I'm bringing. Yeah. And I, if I recall, uh, not including expansions, I think that was 190 something wow. items on that list. Nice. Congratulations. But on the other hand, my <laughs> partner's collection is vastly vastly bigger than that so all right uh, the combining of collections i have lots of games to deal with yes (laughs) absolutely well it sounds like playing a lot of games obviously is very interesting but you did obviously start becoming a game designer at some point oh well funny story how did that work gone yeah we love a funny story uh so we were playing battlestar galactica and to you know between two games of battlestar galactica we played another game of battlestar galactica so that that was pretty much what we did back through 2010 to 2012-ish. Yeah. So so that's all we knew. It was like, you know, how to have epically thematic uh, backstabbings and, and grand stories. And one of my friends, uh, Mihai Vince, he went off to a family holiday for a week in August of, I want to say, 2010. And when he came back to our next regular Battlestar night, he was like, well, I was bored on holiday, so I designed the game. And it's just like Battlestar, <laughs> but shorter. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And, and, and because I was the organizer, I'm the loudmouth, I'm the guy who knows better than everybody else. So just, you know, just listen to me. So eventually I started helping him. I organized, okay, so every second time we play, we play one of his games before, one of his game before we go on to Battlestar. And then I was like, yeah, the game is great, but could we make it better by adding this and this and this and this and this and, you know, and, and yeah, then yeah. the rabbit hole just came. And uh, then in 2012, we went to the Hungarian Board Game Designers Day, which back then was like a tiny event. Yeah. And we talked to other people who were like, oh, we're totally publishing our game and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and the year after, I moved to the UK. And basically, through a sheer series of luck, I ended up in a holiday organized for board gamers where the guest star was Richard Ham of Rado Runs Through. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And about halfway into the holiday, I mustered up enough strength to say, hey, Rado, by the way, if you play so many games, can you check out the one we designed and tell us if it's any good? Nice, yeah. And then <laughs> after I gave him the thematic pitch, not knowing anything about, you know, target audiences and markets yeah. and yeah, yeah. game play count and stuff like that. It was like, by the way, do you know that the guy organizing this trip has his own publisher? So long long story short, uh, on the last day, by the time the taxi pulled up to take us back to the the airport, uh, I already had a signed contract for the game in my pocket. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Amazing. And that game is uh, redacted, which... I maintain to this day that the core idea that me uh, that Mihai came up with many years ago is super unique and super special. Yeah. But knowing what I know about game development now, I can see how and why about 60% of the people who played it went, what? 
and then never played again. So, oh, right. okay. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm utterly proud of what we achieved, but you know, 10, 10 years and a little bit of professionalism later. Now I know what we no, could have done better, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, but, but then to continue the incredible series of luck next year, when I couldn't, when, when uh, we couldn't go back to the Hungarian board game designers day, because yeah. we were already living in the UK, we, we were still invited as, as guest stars. Oh, and nice. I keep yeah. saying we not because I like to speak in the royal multiples, <laughs> but because uh, because whoever is my the partner at the time is always knee deep or neck deep dragged yeah. into whatever yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. So so uh, my girlfriend at the time uh, was both a co-designer and, and the lead illustrator on Redacted, nice. including oh, on the published game. So the publisher went okay. like, no, 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 now we don't need your art. We're going to hire somebody professional. And then they hired somebody, then they fired somebody. Yeah. And yes. then they were like, yeah, yeah, we'll just take the prototype art. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> so that, 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 that's why I keep saying we, because it was all a group effort. And and so we were invited to be the, the guest stars of the Hungarian yeah, the game designers day because you know the only <laughs> designers to be internationally published. Oh my god, they're yeah, so yeah. famous. <laughs> and 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 while while Mihai was still living in Hungary, so I was like, hey, could you after the 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 keynote, whatever is over, can you go around and see the other people if there's anybody in Hungary worth teaming up with? Oh, yeah. Okay. And he sent me a list of three names of these are the three people that might be. Uh, serious so when we uh, went home uh, uh, for christmas family visits we're like okay let's get all our old university and high school friends together that have us played us redacted over the years and let's you know give them a big dinner and play the game together and sign everybody's boxes and have some fun oh and by the way let's invite these three people that we made a list (laughs) of that they might be good as future business partners and one of them Came with came with a prototype, <laughs> and they put that prototype on the table and said, "We're thinking about self-publishing this game." Two out of the three people running that team yeah. came, and and they asked us whether we could improve it. Okay. And I looked over the game and I was like, "God damn, I can't improve it. This is <laughs> as close to a perfect game as I've ever seen." Wow. wow yeah. That game was Tricarian, and the two people <laughs> yeah, who came okay. over were the founders of Mineclash. Wow. And yeah. uh, three months later, they made a couple hundred thousand on Kickstarter, multiple yeah, yeah. what Redacted <laughs> made. So after that, this whole, the famous me and they coming to <laughs> advice for me turned around to me going to them saying, So would you like to publish one of my games next? <laughs> and that game turned into an acronym. Okay. Right. Yeah. And after that, it was no longer a question of, hey, I'm a game designer, but the road from playing Battlestar to publishing Anachrony was just a series of lucky meetings of people. <laughs> so don't ask me what to do to become a full-time professional game designer because the answer will be, be somewhat good and very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is an amazing story, isn't it? Yeah. And it's all true. <laughs> it's all true. Being the right place at the right time, meeting the right people, people and having yep. the right game idea with you well, and the design yeah. and then meeting more people. Brilliant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 make sure that people around you can express their creativity and encourage them and yeah. try not yeah. to take all the credit in the end. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's it's interesting that kind of Battlestar Galactica inspired your first game and your first prototype, and I guess now I'm wondering how do you come up with ideas for games in general nowadays? Are, are you still inspired by other designs? Yes, but mostly by shooting between two of them. Explain. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> As in, when when I see a game that does something very good, but does something other thing that I don't like. Then I look at another game that does something that I really like and does something that I wonder if it could be more interesting and then try to find these two games not close to each other because, you know, we're not trying to slightly improve the Rosenberg's next game because why bother? Because they're already (laughs) as bad as they get. And, And try to see what's the logical... the Why has nobody done this yet? Okay, yeah, yeah. Dice Settlers was couriers had this amazing deck builder, back builder mechanism and a terrible role to resolve combat system. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Eminent Domain 
had this very good action selection system combined with the deck building and the deck teaching, which I did not try to steal on purpose because mm-hmm. that was what made that game unique. <laughs> yeah. But uh, other than the action selection, it was not very interactive. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the game and the action section is really interactive, but what you see it to do is you put stuff in front of you and that's it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and and if you take out the random combat from Quarriers, then all is left is a deck building game to score points, which is again not interactive. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I said, could I take something like the actions of Eminent Domain, put it on the dice of Quarriers, and then somehow make this interactive? Okay. And because at the time, the game I was playing a lot was Dominant Species. So yep. when you said interactive, that meant it had to be a hex map with a cube scoring majority on it. Okay. And uh, and I just took this idea, dice back building with actions on the dice, and some of the actions involve putting cubes on a hex map. And that describes dice settlers. And after that, months of months of development work went into it and now it has a million little ideas that has nothing to do with any of those games and i didn't lift anything from any of those games but it's certainly my unhappiness of quarriers battle resolution is what led to that sequence of events that designed by settlers okay yeah yeah i think the one truly super unique thing that I ever come up with, very ironically, because I like my heavy, complicated stuff, yeah. is my simplest idea, is the sand timers and kitchen rush. Oh, okay, yeah. Yes. Because that's not an iterative improvement over anything that somebody has done. No. As far yeah. as I know, that's something new I came up with. And yeah, yeah. people often name a game called, I think, Time and Space, which had sand timers in it before, but I never played it, and the people who told me told me that I don't have to. So... Okay. <laughs> You know, so yes, okay. usually, usually it's looking at games, cherry picking half a sentence from them and fantasizing how I could make them better, mm-hmm. yep. which is which is how one of my upcoming games, uh, Defense of Procyon, was born, was, hey, could I make a team game like Quartermaster General, but with the asymmetry of Vast and the scope of Memoir 44, but none of its randomness, and and with an action selection system like Gloomhaven, <laughs> right? Yeah, that doesn't sound difficult at all. And then and then thi- <laughs> right? And then things just spiraled out from there. And <laughs> two years later, I got a finished game. So brilliant. So so you you obviously start with mechanisms, I guess, first when you start to design. Usually, um, yes. At what point do you think then theme comes into it? Or are you not so worried about the theme of the game? Uh, you 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 have to separate the setting from narrative i would say because when okay. you're doing a action optimization action optimization euro game yeah then all you need is a setting okay yeah, and yeah. then pick a setting where the nouns of the game make sense right and then let those nouns inspire some other mechanisms okay yeah yeah when when i started working with uh, daniel tashini on Takanu, which is coming this year about a year ago uh, the conversation started with, so what game do you want to design? I don't know. You like things that go around. I want something to go around. Okay. Okay, what do you want to go around? <laughs> mm, I don't know, the shadow of something, but make it completely different than photosynthesis. Yeah. Okay, so how about we have something in the middle? Okay, let's have an obelisk in the middle. Shall we make the game Egyptian? Okay, let's make the game Egyptian. And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then, so the setting was born from the... From because you know, sun god central piece in the middle of the board, so the, the setting was born from that. But once we had the Egyptian setting, uh, and we were looking for a turn order mechanism, and I came up with the idea of you know how the Egyptians balance their soul, yeah, in, before going to the afterlife, yeah, and that gave that 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 inspired the mechanism that decides the turn order in the game now. Oh, so, okay, yeah, there's definitely like don't just create a full system and then rename everything i mean sometimes that happens but even after the renaming you want to go back and improve the game a little bit to make more sense yeah so so for 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 euroe puzzly games it's mechanism mechanism setting and then a bit more mechanism when i do more thematic stuff like mind clash anachrony or the upcoming perseverance or as the earlier mentioned defense of procyon then 
then, then have a bare minimum of mechanisms, create a setting, and then in that setting, create a narrative. Who am I? What am I doing? How am I doing it? What are my stuff's capabilities? And then model those narratives in mechanisms. Right, okay. I, I, I have never done a completely thematic, like an Ameritrash, like a, a story-driven game. I've never yeah, done. Yeah. Ameritrash is not <laughs> yeah. a bad word. We can say it. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've never done any of those. Is there one you'd like to do if you could? Hmm. I don't know. I, 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 I always jokingly say that my biggest innovations happen in genres I hate. Right. Because yeah. because because I'm I have to innovate them because otherwise I hate doing them. Yeah. So I guess one of these days I want to do a cooperative, semi-solo uh, story campaign like you know Seventh Continent and and Tainted Grail and because everybody seems to be crazy about them and I look at them and go wait why. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so I want to figure out what that genre would have to do for me to get excited about it. I see. And I'm not calling them bad games. I'm just saying they don't do anything that excites me. So I want to find what excites me there. Because, because dice games used to not excite me long before Roll for the Galaxy came out, and that's why I designed Dice Settlers because I wanted to find a dice game that makes me interested. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Co-op games never interested me. That's why I designed mm-hmm. Kitchen Rush to make a co-op game that interests me. So okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> solo games never interest me. That's why that's I designed cool. the, the Anachronist <laughs> Chronobot to figure out what would the solo game look like interesting, and then somehow that became half of my job. So you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A series of lucky meetings again. Is there any mechanisms in particular you like to incorporate into your games? Or are you always trying to improve on something that's lacking? I I I don't have a standard tool set almost on purpose because because okay. the the way I force myself to not choose between quantity and quality mostly because I can't say no to quantity. Right. Yeah. So I fear that if I had standard sticks and maintain my quantity, then my quality would either suffer or would get very repetitive at least. Okay. Yeah. So if you look at five games I've worked on, okay. Days of Fire, Anachrony, uh, Kitchen Rush, Die Settlers, or including co-designs uh, or other other people's projects I've joined, then Petricor and Perseverance, they have nothing in common. So, so what I bring to the table is the way I look at things, not... Not I. I don't have a Martin Wallace loan. I don't have a, a, a Tashini worker management. I don't have a Vital Lacerda executive actions. Yeah, yeah. Because because those people are all masters yeah. of their craft, while while I'm more of a, a, con, a consulting game designer. I can look at stuff and say, how could this be done? Yeah, okay. makes sense. Yeah. So, so you were talking about um, working with other designers, and you were just saying you're more like a consulting yes, I game love designer doing that because because they're masters of their craft. <laughs> so, so how how do you find that process? I mean, do you do you prefer working with other designers? I presume when you obviously develop your own games as well, you probably have it play tested by other designers and work with them. But if you're actually working on a project specifically with another designer, how do you find that process, and how does that sort of compare? Maybe working. I wouldn't say alone necessarily, but you know, maybe having a you know a game just credited yeah. to you. Even even if a game is only credited to me, it's usually a team effort. Yeah. It's just a different sort of separation of concerns. Yeah. Because I'm I'm in the lucky position where I don't just design a game and then pitch it around and hope somebody signs it. That has not happened since I think Kitchen Rush was the last game I pitched. Okay. Yeah. Since then, it's more like I go to publishers and say, "Okay, guys, let's talk. What game you want from me?" Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. which means that which means that I can show a half finished, half working game to the publisher and talk to them about it. Okay. With with uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that game yet, but uh, the the game after Tekenu, I think at at Aircon I mentioned it to a few people. It's gonna be called Tawantinsuyu, just to make it sure it's hard to pronounce. But <laughs> I showed it to the publisher when when uh, uh, only six of the eight actions were in existence and like it was not playable and i was like okay this is where i'm heading towards a do you have a good idea for the seventh action b which part of the design worries you the most and, right. and they came back so so it's always a teamwork it's all uh, 
with the no, very notable exception of, mm. of Defense of Procyon 3, where I oh. had one or two friends of mine serve as follies and, and always challenge me to make it better. But otherwise, I've done everything on it from the get-go, uh, ironically, including art direction, which I'm not mm. normally good at, but I love this game so much that I have to. <laughs> but so because of this, because I'm, 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 I'm never the... Never the the famous author coming into the room and telling everybody how to do. Yeah, yeah. Because of that, it's it's really easy for me to work with other people because I want to hear their good ideas and I want to be inspired by their good ideas because I'm an improver. I'm not an inventor. Uh, people like people like Daniel Tishini, Adam Kapinski, yes. uh, Richard Breeze, wonderful people. I had the privilege to work with these people can invent new stuff mm-hmm, yeah, whereas yeah. i can just make games better okay <laughs> <laughs> i have to ask i have to ask which which collaboration was your favorite so far is there any that's been well that's cheating fun? that's that, that's that's cheating <laughs> yes, because there are two good two good answers to this question first of all i created an expansion for vlada Schwatil's tashkalar oh yes and there are game designers and then there is vlada Schwatil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was a crazy fanboy long before I met him, and having worked worked with him, I'm just a crazier fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're not the only one. <laughs> he he taught me the 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 real meaning of perfectionism and and when a game is good, it's like he starts where other people finishes. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So 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 that was definitely dear to my heart, and I am. Uh, blissfully counting down until the second expansion that he agreed to do with me gets back to the top of the schedule because then it means it's another month of development with him. I, I approached him to to co-design a proper full game together. He read my pitch. He said, yeah, it's a very good idea. Not good enough. <laughs> and, and then we did not design that game together. So, <laughs> And he said it super politely, like he's the nicest guy ever, but it's like, like I present him my idea and then halfway through the pre- presentation, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing how he's going to deconstruct it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then he finishes the deconstruction and I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I wanted to say. <laughs> so that's, 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 that's answer, good answer number one. Mm-hmm. And good answer number two, who do I like to work the most with? And I don't say this often enough and I don't know if you listen to this, but uh, that has to be Victor Peter of, of uh, Mind Clash because I've done it with him so many times. Yeah, and, okay. and when I started the, with Victor and Richard on, on Anachrony, then it was me, the designer, giving them a game, and they took it apart. Right. Like, yeah. by, mm-hmm. like, like the core mechanisms, the worker placement, the worker types, the way time travel works, it's all there. When they came up with the cool post-up of a theme, they showed it to me and, and, and asked for my input. And, and the idea of counting down towards an impact, I had a hand in. But ultimately, they completely Put, uh, took my game apart yeah, yeah, and yeah. most designers I know would not survive that no. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. that's hard to take yeah yes but 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 I saw the way an acronym improved and I said hats off to you fellow traveler mm. and and let's do this more cool yeah <laughs> yes. and on the anachrony expansions the ones we had on Kickstarter last year the the harmony mm. the 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 speed of agreement yeah. that that Victor and I had was just just insane. It's like we, we've been through the fire basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 now it's smooth sailing from here. And then of course perseverance is coming this year, which which uh, I originally co-designed with uh, Thomas van der Ginste and Wolf Plank, uh, known for the designers of Edo. Yeah. And and I and they showed me an idea which inspired me to make a game and then I took that game to Mindclash three and a half or four years ago. Like like it's been with Mindclash for an insane amount of time. Mm. And they do what Mindclash does best and they took the game apart completely. Yeah. Like the the current game that's coming out has one mechanism in common with the game I pitched to them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and the central idea is all there and everything was an iterative improvement, but everything. And and again, yesterday I had a 
five and a half hours Skype call with Victor and we went through like all the feedbacks from all the test groups and all the public demos and how could we improve this? How could we try this? No. What, what's our objective? And it's like Brilliant. that yeah, yeah. level of, of, of harmony I, I never achieved with anybody else. And there are many, many people I love to work with, yeah. but no, nobody else can I talk to for six hours about a game not hate each other's guts <laughs> yeah. and and be in agreement about everything and make good progress and yeah. not just talk about all faff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Oh, that's brilliant. I mean, it's it's nice when you some some finally click with someone and you get onto that and, and work together and, and see that you're improving the game. As I say, it's so hard for designers to go back and go, right, no, we're, we're trying to make the game better. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. Is it better for the game? And it's great. Uh, the, the, the thing that taught me this, uh, the, 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 the humility against the deconstruction is, as I said, first of all, seeing it work on an acronym. But second, uh, when I went full time two years ago, I got hired to improve other people's games. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, this is crap. This is crap. I don't like it. Why is it there? That is boring. And then I was like, wait, didn't I make these exact same mistakes in my latest prototype? Yeah. <laughs> And 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 then going back with that eye and and calling my stuff crap to, taught me how to make it so much better. Okay, yeah, yeah. And and now now somebody can put a half finished game in front of me, and as long as it's you know medium heavy to heavy thematic to euro stuff, where where my skill set is useful, like people are amazed how fast I can critique it. Whereas all that happened was. I saw uh, I saw how I wanted to nitpick other people, and I saw how other people nitpicked me, and you know, compared the difference, mm-hmm. which is great because this is what allows me to make a living out of board game designing. Because you know, just just designing games wouldn't keep the lights on on, yeah, on an yeah. average month, yeah. but but making other people suffer does so. I think that answered your original question, but oh, yeah, it definitely. got away from me, like every kind of question <laughs> exactly. as well. Yeah, yeah. So you're very well known in the solo community um, for making um, fantastic solo modes, and solo gaming seems to have come a long way in recent times. Oh, God, yes. Um, and so the question is, are you a solo player yourself? Not at all. <laughs> I ca- cannot, for the life of me, play a single solo game. <laughs> I just can't do it. It's like I, I take three turns, then I say, "Yeah, this is fun," and and stand up and stop playing. <laughs> Brilliant. So so uh, I I always used to say that the best guarded secret, but no, it's not a secret. I I I love the creative and 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 uh, the the sort of puzzle of here is an interesting game where I love outsmarting my opponent. How can I make that interesting when I'm outsmarting a deck of cards? Right, yeah, yeah. So that, as a designer, is an exciting challenge for me. Interestingly, once it's me who has has to outsmart that piece of deck, I'm like, okay, no. (laughs) But lucky for me, I got successful with my solo modes early. Therefore, when I put out a course saying, hey, people, do you want to try out my new solo mode? People came. Okay. And amongst those people, some of them stayed. And a uh, great shout-out goes uh, here to my my two biggest favorites, Nick Shaw and John Albertson, who has been with me, each of them, for like a dozen games for now, as in including future games that hasn't yet come out. Okay. But Nick has been playtesting with me, I think, since Patricor. And John probably joined either at the Anachrony expansions or a game before then, and I'm not sure. But but he joined with such a force that I think he played the Anachrony new solo mode about a hundred times. Yeah. So wow. so that's how I do it. Is that that I have a theory for what makes a solo mode interesting. I have done it a dozen times. So coming up coming up with it one more time is not that difficult. And and I can very quickly make a workable. I'm not saying great, yeah. but a workable solo mode. And then I have this half a dozen people with with Nick and John in the lead who are practiced enough that when I send them my half-working solo mode, they send back useful feedback. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And after that, mm-hmm. after that, it's just them sending me notes. I'm saying, okay, try that next time. Or when they send me questions, hey, did you mean A or B? I'm like, which makes more sense to you, A? Well, then I obviously meant A. And 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 it's a team effort. And and uh, recently, for many games, I've started giving them 
cool solo mood design credits yeah. because they deserve it because their names should be heard yeah of course and... yeah definitely so yeah so, so what would you say then makes a great solo mode in the game okay so so the original three tenets that Morton Mondad Peterson laid down with viticulture so many years ago yeah and I still consider him the founding father of so modern solo gaming and he's a wonderful guy okay yeah was ease of execution okay an opponent a, a, a dynamic score to beat all right yeah and uh, otherwise known as no beat your own score yeah 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 and never having to make a decision against yourself i know flow charts no do whichever scores most points for your opponent etc etc right yeah yeah and and his method worked excellently for the light to light medium games he developed it for the exception to the list is 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 gaia project which is the one heavy game i know of that has one of his solo modes in it okay yeah. uh, but uh, I took this, I played Viticulture, and I was like, okay, this is better than everything else, but still not enough for me. Okay. What would make it good enough for me? And I added a fourth tenet to his list, outsmartable opponent. That is, it gives me some inclination what it might do, and then I can make a choice to either do something good for myself or do something to stop it from doing whatever is best for it. Okay, yeah, yeah. If, if you've seen the Anachron solo mode, this is the fact that you know yeah. that its next action going to be one of these four or six actions, and if you take that spot, then it will only score one point, which is usually less than whatever the action would have given it. And then I took this concept and I kept applying to bigger and more complicated or more nuanced interactions. I think it reached the peak with Knights of Fire, where I managed to take a game where one player plays a block, a light block war game, and his job is to bluff the opponent into attacking the wrong districts. And I somehow managed to make a bot that can be bluffed into attacking the wrong districts, but not always. Yeah. <laughs> and yet it's yet the bot's turn is draw a card and resolve whatever is written on that card. Yeah, yeah. No look up the and there are not flowcharts, but there are tiny priority lists on the player aid. But like, if the bot can attack in multiple places, attack here first, then there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after that, pick yeah. randomly. So, so it's not 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 a war game solitaire opponent, which is you know you look at stuff like like I don't know to think of a good war game Churchill. Okay, it's not a war game, but yeah, yeah, yeah. war gamers. <laughs> but like, it has a ton of interaction. It has great bots, mm -hmm. but <laughs> it's like being a cog in a computer if you want to run that bot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're just like, do this, then do this, then move this there, and whereas yeah. mine is just flip a card, do the text, move on. Yeah, yeah. And and probably the most fun I had recently on a solo mode was Emerson Machitsuti's Foundations of Rome. Oh yeah, because the game is super elegant and super simple, and yet super interactive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And to make a bot which can threaten you at this mm -hmm. was, and keeping it simple, because obviously I can't add twenty hundred yeah. complicated parts <laughs> to a game like his, and 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 that taught me many more things. And any solo mode I've designed since has become more elegant because of it. Okay. So, you know, onwards to more and better things. Oh, and, 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 and because of Foundations of Rome, I have a very cool story about how important solo board gaming has become, and this surprised even me, is that these days the, the wisdom says that if you launch a game on Kickstarter, then have a solo mode. Yeah. Okay. But we always assume that on Kickstarter, it's about 10-15% of people who get solo modes, mm -hmm. who, yes, who need do. solo modes to back. Yeah. Uh, and and about five five ish percent in retail. Huh. Uh, so with the foundations of Rome, the solo mode was the only reason it was added is because I approached them saying, "Hey, I want to try it because this looks so cool." So they didn't budget for it, so they had to add it as a paid add-on because it literally uh, okay. didn't fit into the box. Yeah. So once the campaign finished, I was like, "Okay, so how many people bought the solo add-on mm -hmm. out of the eight thousand backers?" more than 3,000 already did. Wow. And the mm -hmm. pledge manager is not closed yet. Yeah, yeah. Which means everybody thought it's 10-15%, whereas it's more like 40% plus. Yeah, yeah. So so that just means I'll be kept, kept uh, you know, <laughs> occupied and, and, and paid for a while. Yeah, 
So I don't know, it's a definitely very important. Do you think that solo modes have become more popular to help sales, especially in things like Kickstarter? Because it can make a game more appealing. You might be more likely to buy it if you think, well, even if I can't get a group of people around, I could always play it by myself. Uh, I think the central concept is that board games are getting cooler. They are cooler and cooler. And there's innovative in production. Mm. They're innovative in mechanisms, in visualizations. We can show things that was impossible before by new concepts and which is also what gave rise to the 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 modern kind of board game collectorism if like if you were a board game collector in the mm. 80s or early 90s then yes you could collect them like you collect stamps yeah but how many of them did you really want to play okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> whereas today yes. we got thousands and thousands of new games coming out and you can easily show me a hundred games I want to play. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas even if somebody could sure. afford to buy a hundred new games each year, they're definitely not going to get their gaming group together for all hundred of them. No, no. Yeah. But the moment yeah. you give them the option of setting it up on your table and just having a bit of fun on your own, then you get a taste of the cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what I managed to add to this was not just a small taste of the cool, but the solo game should be equivalent to the multiplayer game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes, and 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 that's what I keep driving home. That uh, I I told all my publishers never to use the term solo variant. No, because no. it's not a variant; no. it's the same game. Yeah, no. Yeah, I think that's very important to to make a distinction. It's not a variant, and I also find that with with like two player games as well. If some some games, you know, are really best played at three or more players. So if you have this, you know, bot idea um, in a two-player game, you can still get the three-player experience. I mean, have have you ever done that sort of thing where you try to add like a virtual player to make it more like a normally? Game? I try to avoid virtual players mm -hmm. because while solo players love the complexity and the the smartness of a bot, yeah. two-player people just want to play. Okay, yeah. That said, I occasionally some, for example, a game like Venice that I had on Kickstarter last year, which didn't have any mechanisms that doesn't work in two player. Like there was no negotiation, there was no bluff bidding, yeah. there was no player to player alliance or whatnot. But the way the map interacted, that you could make moves that are either expensive for you or punishing for both you and one of your opponents. Yeah that was inherently uninteresting in two-player because anything that hurt the other player doesn't matter if it hurt you too. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So for that that game, originally we designed a, help, uh, we designed a very complicated bot that was just not interesting. Okay. And the two-player game was just not as good as the three-player one. Oh, so yeah, yeah. instead... Yeah. Huh. Uh, from scratch, redesigned a very, very simple two-player bot that doesn't score points. It literally just gets in your way. Okay. So your choices become, do I meet with the bot, yeah. mm -hmm. which hurts me a little bit, or do I pay extra to meet with my opponent that hurts us both a bit, or do I pay even more to not hurt anybody? Okay, yeah. And once that was working, then designing a new solo mode, which is basically just a slightly more complicated version of this, became really easy. Okay, yeah, yeah. And because of that, the solo mode became really, really good. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> and the solo mode is just running two of these things against you and summing up their points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I suppose we'll, we'll move on to talking about some other things you've been telling us about how you come up with your game designs and that. Um, and you have a new game coming soon to Kickstarter, which is yes. Excavation Earth. So I'd love to hear the story behind this game. How did it come into being? Oh, that is a funny story. <laughs> so yeah, you've already heard about my university girlfriend and how she got dragged into game design and game artistry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the story of Excavation Earth is, mm -hmm. is the story of my currently pending ex-wife's journey into game design so but you know funny stories all over all over <laughs> she woke me up at 4 a.m on a july morning and said i think i designed the game i'm like cool we'll publish it in two or three years let me go back to sleep was my immediate reaction <laughs> i believe it's like what do you mean two or three years i'll play it by saturday i'm like yeah okay, okay. it'll be good in two years then good night yeah. and uh 
And the game we were playing at the time a lot, and I mean, I still play it to this game, they, is Glory to Rome. Yeah. So multi-use cards are cool, right? Yeah, definitely. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and she came up with this absurd <laughs> setting. This uh, uh, There is this horse race in a medieval fantasy land where <laughs> the princesses work as assassins and the uh, dwarves... The, trade in potato and i don't remember <laughs> all the details uh and 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 so your job is to make business connections as a it started out as a horse trader then it turned into a what you call it a bookmaker yeah yeah at this horse race with the various important people in town and 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 it started out like you know recipe collection like go meet this person then meet that person then buy shares into that horse and then okay, yeah, and then yeah. use your dual use cards either each card had a name of a horse or a name of a VIP and and then afterwards like okay so do you want my input on how to make it a bit better <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then we added card drafting to minimize randomness and then eventually the game got. I don't want to say good, but it got interesting. Okay. It got like, okay, now I can think about it. Now I have strategies. Do I get early area control for points or do I get, uh, well, back then it was not points, but like special abilities or or do I want to complete the most recipes to get points at the end? And then, then there was this mechanism where you can spend one card to make one of the horses go faster because whichever horse was leading the race had its share values increased mm, and, mm. and and then the game ended when the race was finished and you had to finalize all your deals. Okay, yeah. And and Mighty Boards, the people who I've done Days of Fire and Nights of Fire with and helped them out on Petricor uh, came to me and said, mm-hmm. so Dave, when do you have a serious game for us? You know, not, not, <laughs> not a war game, but like a proper game. Yeah. I was like, Days of Fire and Nights of Fire, thank you for calling it not a proper game. But... <laughs> What do you mean? You know, something <laughs> thinky, something crunchy. Like, well, here's a crazy idea. And I put the horse game on the table. Yeah. They're like, we don't quite get it. No. <laughs> but the theme has to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then we sat down and uh, came up with a new theme, which was 1920s Indiana Jones. And your... Uh, collecting artifacts and selling them to the museums. Okay, yeah. And that's and and because a big problem with the horse theme, besides mm-hmm. the absurdity and the meatballs, <laughs> was the fact that people couldn't visualize it. Like, are we? Do we want a horse to win the race? No, we want to buy shares in the horse that's losing the race and then wanting to push it forward. So it was hard to visualize what you, who you are and what you want to do. The the narrative wasn't clicking. Yeah, yeah. And whereas turning it around, you're collecting artifacts and there are people queuing at the museums and you want to collect the artifact that the most people are queuing for and then sell it to, to the museums uh, okay, when yeah, the people yeah. are queuing there. And then you can advertise, which involves yes. putting meeples into the queues yeah, yeah. created the same thinking patterns as previously pushing a horse forward in the race but a much better visualization and a much better narrative yeah and then i took took, took the, the the great excavationist game back to mighty boards and they said good can we add aliens? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> let's have aliens. Yes. We had horses, and now let's have aliens instead. <laughs> yes. And 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 thus uh, Gordon, the head of Mighty Boards, came back with this crazy idea of the instead of uh, museums, let's be alien collectors, and and they come to the earth and dig up uh, the artifact, the valuable artifacts that humanity has left behind. Yeah. If you've seen the art, you know that these valuable artifacts are snow globes, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, license plates, and inflatable Godzilla mascots. Yeah, beautiful so, artwork, by the way. Very you know, nice. I like it. Exactly. And uh, but, but most of the mechanisms from the archaeology game stay the same. So there's still a queue of meeples that you have to change the color that you want to sell. There's an area control on which market you sold the most to. And uh, since then, working with the Mighty Boards, we've been improving the like making this click even more. And and now there's asymmetric player powers. We are currently working on special abilities that you can activate 
if you have the most envoys sent to the space station. That's a lot, lot easier to visualize concept than most account managers to the the dwarf VIPs. The game has came a long way since then. But but the multi-use cards, the, the card draft to essentially pre-plan your next few moves. Uh, the game I was playing a lot a year ago was Brass Birmingham. So why not have on your turn take two actions, each action costs you a card right, yeah, as a yeah. central structure. So, so, so focus all the ideas. So, so to me, Excavation Earth was this brilliant journey of game development, yeah. where we had an idea. You have to use cards for uh, cards with two pieces of information on it for four different things, and you have to draft those cards ahead of time and know what you want to use them for. Yeah, yeah. And then first improve the narrative, then improve the elegance, and finally improve the depth. Yeah, yeah. So. It, it it was a fun experience to to develop on and and I'm so glad that it's near finish. There is one more change that I have to prove this week and then it's off awesome. to the public it goes. So yeah, so, it's going to come out on Kickstarter on the sixth of so, April. So yes, yes, finger fingers crossed that the that the world as it is today doesn't mess it up. Yeah. Yes. So this is when you're listening to this podcast episode as well on the 6th yes, of April. So exactly. Okay, then go, the go back it. Yeah, the, go, go, go live. Go check back it, out. it now, definitely. We're going to put the link in the description, of course, so you can yeah. go straight through. I, mean, I would like to say that there is an eye in the corner of the screen, but that's the wrong <laughs> not, not on the podcast, that. unfortunately, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, saw, yeah. I saw the artwork and, and, and the game and you talked to me about it at Aircon and I really love the illustrations and all that. Who did the illustrations? Who did the artwork? He's called Philip Cruz, I think. Okay. Cruz, I'm I'm so sorry, Philip, if I'm butchering your name. I've I've, I've never no, you met you in person, and you've ne- I've only seen your name written down. Oh, no. so I don't know how it. But yes, the 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 theme and the world was mostly Gordon's idea, and since then we've been sleekening the game into, because a very interesting problem to have was that that the the thematic pitch was super cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yet in 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 Eric was the game is deep and strategic mm-hmm, yeah. which is amazing for me because as i said earlier in the podcast i hate fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but the biggest challenge has been to make sure that the people who like a heavy crunchy card management like an almost brass like game mm-hmm. they need to look despite the theme yeah yeah. And the people who find the idea of being an alien artifact collector and selling to the highest bidder a, a fun theme, yeah. we need to convince them to give enough patience to the game to see the depth. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> so, so we'll see. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much hoping that that the world is ready for us because <laughs> we are ready for the world. It's looking really good. So clearly you've been busy this year. What other um, things have we got to look forward to from uh, are you? Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah, gone. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> Tell us everything. April 6th, Excavation Earth. Yeah. Mighty Boards. We've talked about it. Aliens collecting stuff and market manipulation. Back at now. April 21st, the defense of Procyon 3. Okay. 2 versus 2, a Meritrash war game with the heart of a Euro. Okay. Completely asymmetric four-player factions playing a two versus two battle over two boards. Super thematic, wow. beautiful art and 110 miniatures. Wow. Okay. Yay. So coming from PSC Games, please check it out. Yeah. It's it's scary to teach, but come the second turn, every single person who played at Aircon was grinning oh, and good. cannot wait yeah. and couldn't wait to shoot another uh, uh, <laughs> group of enemy yeah, yeah. Uh, troops and awesome. it's it's like like people compare it to root and i'm like we're just getting started excellent so <laughs> that like, should be fun the game comes with four 10 page rule books and wow. the starter set says hand each player a rule book <laughs> Read that and then and then Don't start playing without yeah. anything okay. else. <laughs> Brilliant. It sounds very because <laughs> the biggest problem with asymmetric games, Vast being the perfect example of this is that you all have to learn a system of your own. Yeah. But if you yeah. don't learn the other people's systems, you don't know what's coming. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And with Procyon, I I what I did was each play basically half the simple half of each player 
is extremely relevant to the other player. Okay, yeah. While the complicated half of each player is all internal state management, okay. therefore completely irrelevant to the other player. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That, that's good. And, yeah. and, and, each, and each rulebook teaches you everything about your faction, yeah. the simple bit about your opponent, and a few sentences about your teammate to know what he or she will ask of you. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. so you can work together. Brilliant. And, and then after the first game, everybody says, well, I don't know what the fourth player did. I'm like, <laughs> that's entirely on purpose yeah. so that you didn't have to learn four times what you learned. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, so I, I, I consciously cut things away from the vast model of teaching everybody everything just so that you can get running faster. Quicker. No, that's good. And the game is fun, so, you know, check it out. Definitely. Uh, so that's Procyon. Then May, maybe June, July now, because of the coronavirus, yeah. is going to be Perseverance. I talked about it earlier. It's the fourth game from Minecraft Games. And, you know, Minecraft Games are important enough to count how many games they've made so far. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this, this is their fourth game, and my second with them after Anachrony. So, hey, no high expectations, <laughs> no. but because yes. we cannot sit still, it is about a, uh, what you call it, a cruise ship uh, capsizing on a mysterious island where they can't leave, Ooh. so they decide to stay and build a town, okay. which all goes well until Ooh. they are attacked by dinosaurs. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Got the That's dinosaurs in. So the players... Sold! So the Take play... my money! So it's a... <laughs> exactly. It's a competitive <laughs> dice-drafting worker placement game wow. where the players play as wannabe leaders of the town, yeah. each competing to be the more heroic defender <laughs> while also playing a political area influence game where they try to win assemblies of most votes of the very workers that you placed on the board. Excellent. Brilliant. Uh, okay, that's cool. And if that was not enough, it's not one game, but a series of four games that form uh, an interlocking story, nice. increasing oh. complexity and mechanisms, yet they are individual standalone games. games as well. They are not okay. a legacy game with okay. four mm -hmm. variants. No. They are four yeah. independent games. Cool. After that, the next one is at GenCon. Hopefully GenCon happens, is Tekanu which I've mentioned earlier, is a co-design between myself and one Mr. Daniel Tashini, yeah. a designer of such little-known gems as Tolkien, Marco Polo, <laughs> yeah. and Teotihuacan. So yeah, you know what to expect there. Yeah. And then after that, we haven't yet announced yet, but there will be an expansion to last year's Roman Roll. Roman oh, Roll okay. is a yeah. medium-heavy Euro game masquerading itself as a roll-and-ride game. We yes. shamelessly advertised it as the world's heaviest roll and ride game but that's a trick that's that's, that's cheating because it's it's a game with rolling and writing in it yeah it's not a roll it's... and ride game mm -hmm. uh so we're gonna do a gladiator expansion for that nice. currently Ooh. on the playtesting and uh, uh rush md will get an expansion somewhere along the way i i you have to ask constantinos about that okay and then at essen there will be another big euro similar but different to Tekanu from Board and Dice. It's called Tawan Tinsuyu. Uh, some people already guessed based on the name that it's about an Incan temple. Yeah. They are correct. Okay. Yes. And, uh, but it's not a Tashini. It's all me. But I will admit it happily that it was uh, inspired by the work I've done with Daniel. So Good. Yeah, uh, yeah. fans of uh, neat Italian Euros will like find stuff there that they like <laughs> and fans of my spiraling systems within systems kind of design but also find the things that they'll like in it. And then there is a few more games after that which I don't yet want to talk about, but we've already started showing off we already started showing off Keyside, okay. which is the Ooh. 2021 key game from Richard Reese. Oh my god. And I have oh, co-designed so it with him. So oh, okay. but, but 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 not showing it this much yet because there is a 2020 key game which he hasn't <gasps> talked much about yet. So okay, okay. I'll, I'll let him talk about that. Oh, and then there is seven other games that I'm not going to tell you about. Just so that you because the list is much? probably going to be endless, but yeah. <laughs> yes, the list is endless. And oh, and I try to sleep enough. Yeah. Good. No, good. thank you very much. <laughs> it sounds like that was, that was really good fun. And, and, you know, nice to hear about how yeah. you go about game design and some of the games and all that. So, mm. 
Um, I think we probably so, uh, better be, 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 gone back to the South from wing. I forgot to mention that these are all games are designed. These are not solo modes. No, for that you have to check out <laughs> Kanban, Yido, yeah. uh, Europa Universalis. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I've, I've long lost long, long lost count of them. No, thanks very much. I mean, we could talk for ages, definitely, yeah. but uh, I think we yeah, probably we we're going to finish now. The podcast come to an end. So yeah, thanks very much for coming on, David. Really appreciate you spending the time with us. Always happy and showing mm. us how you go about this game design and all that, and and talking about excavation it's Earth. As I said, check the link yes. in the description. And Please back it now. Definitely right go now. straight away. <laughs> Stop <laughs> right the now. podcast now and and back it, yeah. and then come back and listen to the last. You, you've been bits. told. <laughs> you've been told. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. Oh, yeah, that was that was fantastic. I love I love getting an insight into how you put things together. It's really fascinating to hear how like your favorite games were made and what they went through to get there. I think a lot of people tell those kinds of stories, so it's it's fascinating yeah. to get inside your brain for a little bit. Um, no secrets so, here. <laughs> no secrets. Um. So, how can people reach you on the internet if anybody wanted to get in touch with you or follow along with your work or keep up with what you're doing? Tag me on any of the big board game Facebook groups. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. There is a there is a accent over a in the in the in David, so yeah, yeah. it might not recognize me, but smart people will figure it out. Or says shoot me a geek mail over BGG, but you know oh. with with moderation. Okay, we'll we'll put the links in <laughs> yes, the description. Let's not as well. all spam him. <laughs> yeah, and and obviously it was just just to advertise ourselves. You can you can find us on Twitter as well now. Tabletop Inquisition yeah. is on there, and the website of the tabletopinquisition.com. Again, all the links are in the description. Yep. But yeah, I think that's all really. Thanks very yeah, much for uh, being, being a guest. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. So take care, everybody. Yes, yeah, see you again soon. Thanks very much. Bye. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.